Uh, welcome to the uh, Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, Jeff Sharon here with you. We are recording this on Tuesday, February 21st. We were in the process of recording our regular show. And then the uh, news came down uh, late in the, in the process. That's why we're doing this cold open here. Um, news from UCF. Former UCF president John C. Hitt has passed away at the age of uh, 82. Um, he was, he came to UCF in 1992, served until 2018, 26 years leading the university. Um, the impact that John Hitt had on UCF as a university cannot be understated. Um, there's some interesting, there's a lot of interesting information on this tribute that UCF shared on their website. I encourage you to go check it out at ucf.edu. Uh, the year that he took over, UCF's enrollment was 21,267. The year he retired, it was 66,100. Uh, there were, uh, there was an increase of 53% in degree programs, 160% increase in the number of colleges. The average freshman SAT score jumped 30%. Perhaps most importantly, research funding at UCF. 424 percent. Um, a truly legacy. Uh, basically, you know, when we talk about the growth of UCF as an institution, um, from what it was, which you know, at at the time, and and when John Hitt took over, UCF was more or less a um, a a. A, a fairly large school, but it was still kind of a commuter school um, with, you know, with a, with a decent athletic program. Um, and UCF turned into, uh, turned into one of the, one of the premier universities in the Southeast under his tutelage, but all that aside, let's talk about athletics, his impact on athletics. Um in 1992, UCF was a very low Division I program. By 2018, it was the university was well on its way to being a power institution. Um, and even though the announcement wasn't made that UCF was going to the Big 12 by the time he retired, there is no question that he had a tremendous hand in that happening. Uh, Eric, I'll start with you. Softball started under John Hitt. Um, and so you've seen, you know, well, we all seen him. And, and, and Eric and Andrew are with me here uh, to talk about this. What sort of impact did John Hitt have on UCF athletics from your perspective? Uh, UCF's not in the Big 12 without him. I mean, I'd start with that. I mean, you've mentioned softball. He, he decided to have a softball program, built the softball facility, built an on-campus baseball deal, uh, football on campus. He was he was very pro at UCF athletics and because yeah. he understood the vision that athletics would help enrollment to the university and bring interest and exposure to the university. Uh, I think that's the legacy that he will have. Who knows? There's a lot of presidents that wouldn't have done that necessarily. And I think to me, that's this legacy. Uh, is a lot of this is built because of him. He pushed it. He narrated 
Um, obviously, the high academics also is pushed. The enrollment numbers you've alluded to. But, Drew, I mean, I toss it to you. You're students. I mean, this thing was kind of growing but while we were students, and he was at the forefront of a lot of these moves, moves that people – at, t- at the time, we're like, is this a great idea? Is this kind of a risk? It wasn't like this was an obvious moves, but he's, he kind of foreshadowed the future in a lot of ways. Well, look look what he inherited. I, that original arena, the garage, as many of us called it, was not even Division One standard. Now it's the venue, and obviously serves a different purpose. But uh, he, he came in to a university, as, as Jeff said. It was a commuter school. It really had no, no direction. Uh, what what John Hitt brought to the table was partnerships. That was his thing, was partnerships uh, with a lot of companies in the community, you know, a Research Park, the development of that, you know, Lockheed Martin, all those. Uh, partnerships is what he did. And that also uh, bled over into athletics where he used networking and partnerships to uh, develop the athletic village because uh, he, he had a very uh, – in you know hands-on role in in the development of that you know the building the stadium the arena uh two softball stadiums because you remember there was the first one next to the baseball stadium and then they they moved sure. it out yeah you know so obviously uh there was the the understanding of the investment into athletics and obviously ucf did not have much money to work with so i mean it, it was a very long play it took a lot of time a lot of things were were done a little bit cheaply because it was what they could do at the time. But as we're seeing, especially with the baseball field, with at the time it was Ken Bergman Park, uh, they there, you know, you got the foundation built, and that's what John Hit brought to the table. Fast forward to now, they're building on top of that. They're renovating, they're improving. So, uh, Doctor Hit, obviously, we were all students when when he was there. Uh, you know, he was there before us. He was there after us. And I remember walking around campus because, you know, at, in different ways, we all worked for the school. You know, I worked in the computer labs. You guys worked with uh, with media stuff. Mm. And just walking around campus, you know, back then, uh, you know, there was open areas that didn't have development that was still very small, a little bit sleepy. And then you look at it today. And it's It's a completely different place. It's a city within a city. And you never would have gotten to that point without the work that he did. And I know he ticked off a few of his peers because of what he was doing here was, was against the grain, was, was you know, moving UCF from third tier, moving up towards top tier school in, in the state. And that, that ruffled feathers. Uh, remember, the medical school, uh, our associates out West fought tooth and nail against UCF getting to medical school. Yeah. Uh, when, you know, UCF and FIU went to present, uh, they, they knocked it out. They each school knocked it out of the park uh, to, to get the, the medical campuses and look what's happening now. A uh, lot of good stuff happened to UCF and it all comes back to the work that he did over a 26 year period, slowly putting things in places, building new facilities, bringing in the right people at the right time. I, you can't you know, say anything other than thank you. Yeah. Um, I think John Hitt understood better than any other president of any major university in the country. When it comes to athletics, that sports is the front door. 
it, it, as they say, we, we hear that cliche all the time that athletics is the front door to every university. He understood that. Um, when we look back at, and, and, and you know, we, we talk about the growth of the university, you know, we were all part of that. You know, I, I was at UCF from 01 to 05 as a student, Eric, you, Eric and Drew, you guys are both around that time. We saw, I think that was when, you know, the gas pedal really got hit in terms of, um, in terms of UCF's growth from kind of a niche-ish regional university to a, a to one of the largest universities in the country. Um, and the other thing I, I, I'm always reminded of, um, uh, you know, the joke that we used to say that UCF stood for under construction forever. <laughs> and, and the reason why that was, is because John Hitt had a vision for what UCF could be. And, and through his, um, his entire weight behind, you know, getting the funding and support for all the various facilities that UCF needed as a university to become what it is now in the year 2023. When we talk about athletics, and, and this will be my one question um, uh, for the both of you guys. When we talk, when we think about John Hitt in terms of, in, in, the, in the context of the development of UCF athletics from 1992 to now, what was the most impactful decision that he made in his tenure? Um, Drew, I want to start with you. What was the, what was the biggest, do you think was the most important thing that John Hitt did in it his was, time at UCF was, for athletics? It was the building of the football stadium. Uh, you know, in 2005, word starts getting around that UCF is going to have to find a new home for a couple of years uh, because of re- renovations that were going to be done to the citrus ball. And John Hitt, along with athletic director Steve Orsini and and coach George O'Leary, basically said, well, you know, forget that. Might as well just build one ourselves. And you know what? They did. It wasn't just talk. It wasn't just conjecture. They did. It redefined the entire campus. You know, now the campus meant something. It brought people home. And look at what it's done over the 15 years since it's opened. Uh, We've redefined the school. Uh, it's going to the Big 12. It's no longer just some some group, you know, little school that plays 20 minutes off campus where you know there it's in a not great neighborhood. No, you're on campus. You 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 brought everyone home. I think that was the single most impactful thing in athletics he has ever done. And look at the payoff. Eric, what about you? He's 100% right. Drew's 100% right. That's the number one. I'll just piggyback and add a couple there. It's like because I think the basketball arena should be included there because I think he understood that if you want to get to a major conference, you can't get in on just football only. You have to be good at other sports. You have to figure out a way to have a great basketball facility for the basketball program or a baseball facility or softball facility, uh, you know, the volleyball, you know, it, all of that. He saw the vision from afar there that, you know, because remember they got blocked obviously from getting to the Big E's and you know, with all this stuff with South Florida, you know, they had to go a different route, you know, whether it be going to the Mac and then finding conference USA, that was significant and, and building, building, building. As we've seen with South Florida, they didn't build. They kind of were complacent, and look what's happened to them. Yep. And look what's happened to UCF now. I mean, Andrew's right. Without that football stadium on campus, UCF's not in the Big 12 right now. Who knows where they would be? And I think the other impact of him from an athletic standpoint 
he got all the maybe the best it's been voted the best tradition in all of college with spirit splash on Fridays, which usually would be it's on homecoming and we'd always see the football players there and he would always be out there. That was, that would help the students get involved and get excited for the football games. Uh, that was a big influence on that. They're bringing in George O'Leary in there with uh, under Steve Orsini's request there. I mean, if you listen to a lot of the coaches over the years that UCF has brought in and been hired, one of the first people they think is John hit without yeah. question. Uh, and I don't think that's an accident. You know, uh, Jeff, real quick, that the whole athletic village in general has been such a home run that other schools copy it. The yeah. Florida Atlantic copied it. Uh, you know, they 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 actually look at it as an example, and that was his brainchild. Between uh, he he was a major aspect of that, realizing again partnerships with area businesses and stuff can make a difference on campus, and and it's become quite a hub on on football game days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I can't, I can't argue with any of you guys on that. I will say that I think there's a couple of other, I think, important decisions that he made that, that, uh, that he deserves a lot of credit for. Number one was moving, was backing football, moving from one double A to one A in the, in the mid nineties, not to say that UCF wasn't already on the trajectory there, but the aggression with which UCF pursued 1A membership and then and and conference membership too. Like we talked about earlier, yeah, there was the, the, the there. It is by now obviously well documented that South Florida stood in UCF's way. Now, part of that might have been some uh, overplaying of the hand from some of President Hitt's athletic directors, um, but uh, nonetheless, it, it's, it's not like it, it didn't happen. And UCF was very aggressive in trying to find the proper home for its programs in a conference. And I think that, um, that finally came to fruition with the move to conference USA out of, you know, the Mac for football and, and a son for everything else. And of course, previously football was an independent. Once you got, once you, once UCF was able to get into conference USA, I think that was really the, the catalyst for a lot of the things that we saw, um, from athletics in terms of moving things out. And I, th- and I think the other thing that John hit, I deserves a lot of credit for. And, uh, and, and I will maintain this um, as part of his legacy was his commitment to women's sports as well. Uh, we saw the commitment to, you know, soccer was already quite good, but he, you know, but, but under his, um, under his guidance, he made sure that his athletic directors continued to put resources into women's soccer to make it nationally competitive. Uh, volleyball was on a little bit of a lull there for for a bit. They came back under John Hitt. Uh, we've talked about how he, uh, UCF softball started under John Hitt. Um, the track and field program was very successful. Uh, the rowing program has been very successful. Um, and you know, I really do believe that the success of certain athletic programs at any university, it's, it's not, it's, you know, we can talk about the, you know, obviously the athletes, right. But that also filters to the coaches and that filters to the administration. And the part of that administration is your sports administrators, your athletic director, and it goes all the way up to the top, the president. Um, That's why UCF has become a juggernaut, not just in the big sports, but in all sports, in particular women's sports. We've talked about the success of UCF's women's sports 
over time. And I think that, you know, John Hitt at least deserves some credit for making it for putting resources and money and momentum towards UCF's women's sports. And that's why this is an athletic program for the 21st century, Eric. No doubt. And it, and not at the expense of academics either. It's not like right. like a lot of the, you know, you mentioned the women's sports. A lot of the female athletes are drawn to come here to not only play here, but because to go to school. I mean, there's a ton of female athletes go to the business school, for example. There's so many options. And then just being on campus. I've had how many athletes have told us, man, just being on campus. That was all the vision. You know, Drew mentioned earlier about under construction forever, yeah. but that was the vision there. Um, the every every recruit. Every recruit, their family, they cut the families come in and they're like, you know, to a person, they're all like, I had no idea about this place. It's amazing. Everything is so great. And it's hard for the young people to understand that. Like for baseball, for example, when I got to school here is when they literally opened the baseball stadium on campus. They used to play at Tinker Field next to the Citrus Bowl in downtown Orlando. Can you, I mean, it it just sounds insane. Basketball, Drew mentioned it. I mean, it, what was it? A thousand capacity? No, it was a little more than that. Well, it, it opened in '91, and they had just and they had just moved. It was the capacity of the old arena was 5,100. They had just moved from the education gym. Right. Yeah, it was absolute trash. And the thing is, at that old arena, you could yell from one corner of it to the other, and they could hear you during the game. Correct. <laughs> which, which has its, which has its good points sometimes. <laughs> but there's no question. Look, all of this, he saw the vision. He okayed it. He was pro athletics. He's going to be in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. I would not be surprised if he headlines the class next season as they get yeah. into their first year, ironically, into the Big 12 Conference. And I think to me, I will say it again with it, if John Hitt's not here, UCF as a university is not as big as it is. Like, I still get people asking me how blown away they are by the enrollment, right? That's the big yep. thing. That's not without John Hitt's work. Uh, that he put in and UCF wouldn't be going to the big 12 UCF wouldn't have a lot of this stuff they have without him. It's he's the, the yeah. sink. You cannot mention any of his UCF's growth in any department, academics, athletics, without mentioning John hit. Right. John hit uh, passing away at the age of 82 on behalf of all of us here with uh black and gold banner. We thank him um, for the opportunities that he gave us as students and later alumni to um, celebrate the thing that we all have in common, uh, which is UCF athletics. And uh, we thank Dr. Hitt for everything that he did and may he rest easy, a job well done uh, for UCF's former president. All right. uh, We're going to start the regular show right now. This is the black and gold Adirat podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the show, Jeff and Eric, along with Kyle and Drew. We got a a busy show today that we have um, as we approach the end of the month of February. We got basketball to talk about and just two absolutely spleen rupturing losses for UCF men's basketball. Uh, Women's basketball is continuing to kind of really struggle toward the end here. So we'll kind of we'll wrap things up with this as we, you know, approach Begin, the beginning of March, it, we sleep in May, right? You know, as uh, as uh, 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 who's that writer again, Eric? I forget his name. The writer? Yeah, who said? Uh, yeah, we sleep in March. The guy, you know, 
Oh, John Rothstein. John Rothstein. Thank you. Sorry, Roth. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, but man. Um, And then we also, but, you know, at least we have some, uh, we have baseball to talk about, season opening sweep uh, against Siena. So that's solid. Softball, Eric Lopez. Very productive weekend out in Clearwater, including a win on national TV. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, by Mike Tan, I was from Clearwater, but yes, fun, fun weekend. <laughs> yeah, no, you look like, you know, I, I need to send you the SPF, brother. What the hell? Hey, listen, finally yeah. something to distinguish the look between him and our own Drew Glucove. I like it. <laughs> That's true. It's very it's, true. That's so, the yeah. so we got a lot here, but uh, before we get started, though, there is one thing that um, that I want to address, and um, and I've been getting questions about it, and we've talked about it prior to this, but. Uh, those of you who are wondering about who may have been may or not have been following, you know, what's going on in the corporate goings on with Vox Media and SB Nation. Um, SB Nation has decided to demonetize our podcast. All right. Now, that doesn't really mean much to you. Uh, and it, <laughs> it doesn't mean all that much more to us. We're not getting paid a whole lot for this podcast anyway. But um but what it does mean is that in the coming weeks, we're going to be rebranding the podcast. All right. So uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And what we're going to do is, you know, all of you are familiar with our night shift show on video. Eric, you guys did a great job on Sunday night and the latest one with the watch along at UCF softball against Mississippi State, which we'll talk about later. Um, that I think, and we all agree that that brand has been so successful that we will that uh, come the end of this month when the uh, and, and again Vox Media is forcing us to rebrand this podcast that we will rebrand the Black and Gold Bannerette podcast as the Night Shift podcast with us. Um, now, what'll that mean for you, the listener? Not a whole lot. You won't even have to change feeds. All right. Um, and we're thankful for SB Nation for at least, you know, if they're going to unload us, they're at least doing it uh, in a in a relatively user friendly way, at least in terms of what we ha- at least in terms of what we know. Um, but it is a change. So if you pop into the uh, if you pop into your feed looking for our podcast after February 28th, one week from today, when we're recording this on the 21st and you're like, what is this night shift podcast? Trust us. It's us. We just had to we just had to change the name around. All right. So. Want to get that out of the way? I'll have more details for you probably on Twitter. So follow us, follow me, Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow us, UCF Banner at underscore SBN. By the way, what about the website? Website's not changing. All right, website's not changing. You can still go to Black and Gold Banner at. We are still part of SB Nation in terms of our written content. It's the podcast content that's going to be changing brands. I know that sounds a little weird, but don't worry about it. We'll be fine. All right. Let's dive into our topic of conversation here. Uh, enough corporatism. Um, let's start with UCF men's basketball, who just, oh my gosh, these last two games just were absolute killers. 15 and 11 right now, 6 and 8 in the conference. They came into last weekend at 500 in the league. And with two, let's face it, tough but winnable games. At Memphis on last Thursday, home versus Cincinnati on Sunday. They lose the Memphis game 64-63 on a steal and a bucket in the final 10 seconds when they were up 63-62. 
And then again, Cincinnati down nine in the second half. By the way, the Memphis game, they were down big and fought back to that, fought back in that game. And then again, Cincinnati, again, fought back. Tied game at 71. Great defense in the final minute. Couldn't they forced Cincinnati into two backcourt turnovers um, to 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 tie the game. And then David DeJulius hits a it's a running flailing floater with two tenths of a second to go and UCF loses 73-71. Um those two these two losses are just killers, man. I, I you know I, I don't know how else to how else to say. I mean positioning for whatever aside. I mean UCF was already you know climbing a, a way uphill battle and they were gonna have, probably likely gonna have to win the auto bit in order to get to the NCAA anyway. But this doesn't help, right Eric? I mean it, this was these were two. I don't recall, by the way, two consecutive losses this gut wrenching like this in in men's basketball, maybe ever. Well, that's hard to say. Of course, I'm the wrong guy, wrong guy to ask who just watched in person two back to back walk off losses. So we'll get to later. Anyway, well, basketball Roughly for all of us. <laughs> yeah, a little rough for everybody. I mean, we could tell. And Kyle, folks, if you hear Kyle's voice, not a hundred percent. I mean, the guy. No one's taking these losses harder than Kyle. Kyle's man. literally sick. Yeah, literally. I, I, the t- <laughs> these losses are making them sick. And look, it's gut wrenching, right? I mean, these games. What is it? Nine games by one possession. I feel like ten, they've. T- I, I did the math for the recap yesterday. UCF has played ten games this season that were either decided by one possession or went to overtime, and they are four and six in those games. That's, I mean, that's as close, as close to the edge as it gets. I mean, that's the sport for you in a nutshell. You know, if the ball bounces a certain way, you have a completely different season. It's kind of what makes sports great, what makes sports very frustrating. Um, you know, and, th- and this is the case, you know, down to the wire plays, got to make them. And in these cases, Cincinnati, give them credit. They made the play last, one last, one extra play at the end with, what, two tenths of a second. Yep. Um, and then the Memphis, they make a play with the defensive play. It's just one of those things. It's you can't question the effort. Uh, you know, you've seen bright spots there. You know, the Memphis game, they dug themselves a hole. That the good news is UCF doesn't have to ever play there again unless they choose to. And I don't, you know, look down the <laughs> Yeah, you know, I like Bill Street as much as the next guy, but certainly, I mean, we've had Taylor Young here. What are they like one in 20 now at Memphis? Like nothing good. Ever one win, happened. one win at Memphis. I think it was like one. I, I, it's not that. That rough, it's like one in 12. I think something. it is. I think, Memphis. no, I think it's like, remember, let me see. I think about all the CUSA tournaments that have been in Memphis. You count those. I mean, I still can't. Oh, if you count those, I mean, good, good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I still can't get off the Morris Allman three point shot for Rice when uh, 2007 yeah, that knocked me started, up out man. of the opening round. So, and then the Cincinnati yeah. game, you know, it's tough, guys. It, it just is what it is. I mean, you know, that's where you kind of appreciate like the BJ Taylors and you know Aubrey's that finished games, you know, back in 19. Not that these guys didn't finish, but well, I've said this stat over and over again. You give up <laughs> 70 points. Yeah, I, I'm just as I'm just as I know we're making, we're making Kyle I, I literally mean, sick I, right now. He's like I, hacking up a lung. To come over and give him a hug or something. My goodness, poor no, Kyle. The basketball season <laughs> this season's made him sick, but over 70 points. Yeah, that, yeah, that that's been the barometer. They, I think they played much better second half defenses in both of those games. But they got up. Yeah, they have not played at the level defensively that they did early on in the season when they were playing at a level very similar to 2019. They were playing a high level, partly injuries, 
you mentioned, you know, obviously Michael Durr's been talked about. I'm going to still bring it up. I know people keep forgetting this. C.J. Walker only played four games this year. This is a guy that at one point people believe will play, will get paid for a living to play professional basketball. We can't just dismiss that. Like, oh, well, that's just no big deal. That's a big deal uh, because then it, it it causes a rippling effect when you lose a Michael yeah. Durr. Now you're hurting there. Well, this yeah, been plus the fact that, you know, I mean, I mean, even, you know, even if you play the rest of the season and, you know, as, as I've said before, and you guys have heard me use this cliche before, and I got to thank my dad for it. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas, but, um, or Hanukkah, but, settle down, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, I feel attacked. <laughs> but he, he, even if the Dur injury still happens, but you still have CJ Walker, you still have that extra big. I mean, I think that certainly affected UCF in terms of the rebounding and, this is a team that's actually, I think, performed fairly well on the boards, all things, you know, all things being equal. That five-game stretch where they that the, I think the South Florida game really hurt. You know, we went back and I looked at Barttorvik.com. Uh, he has this really interesting tool where you can change the results of games and see what the net rankings look like and where you would be in the field of 60, 68. And uh, I had to stop myself there for a second. And I was like, all right, well, let's 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 play around with this. If you if you flipped the uh, Mizzou game, which UCF won on a desperation shot or UCF lost rather on a desperation shot at the buzzer, uh, the South Florida game, which uh, you know, I mean, we should have beaten them in that game in my mind. And then the last two, which were lost at the buzzer, UCF is in the last four in. And those are four coin flips. Well, except for the South Florida game, that one you like you want to have that one back. But I mean, geez. And and then if you want to if you want to get real fun, you know, you could flip the Miami game, which was lost at the Horn, um, and then you're you're like bona fide in the tournament, you know. So that's it's 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 tough, man. It's just really it's it's one of those seasons where you're like it, you know, it it feels like you're calling your you know tails never fails and everything pops up heads. Right. I think that the expectation we got to remind people of, Jeff, is at this time at the beginning of the year, right? We were had that situation where the cupboard was basically bare. You mm-hmm. had DJ, you had CJ. And and that was, you know, you didn't hear, you, you, you didn't remember, sure, you know, Time Freeman and you, got, you had a few other guys in the, uh, from last year that were in the rotation. But we mentioned Freeman, he gets hurt at some point. DJ doesn't start the CJ, season. CJ's on the shelf. And by the way, you're talking about these buzzer beater games. Listen, those happen. I get it. But please don't try to tell me that Temple comes in this house and wins with Jameel Reynolds if Michael Durr is out. We are not. I I know Eric mentioned that we already mentioned Durr being hurt. I don't think we're talking about it enough. The fact that this, uh, the depth at the front court earlier in the season, uh, uh, um, I was about to call him Coach Johnny Walker. No. <laughs> well, maybe uh, that's uh... – Some of these losses, it would, would have been it would have been enough to do that to a weaker person, I'll tell you that. I mean, right, yeah. It's, <laughs> at the very least, being a co-pilot, I get it. But, no, Coach Johnny Dawkins has said that this front court is among the most deep since that team with Taco Fall and company, right? Yeah. So that depth, goodness gracious, if he didn't have that, how much worse off would they be is one question. It, it, there's just so many things. By the way, the return of Michael Durr. We got if we got to mention something positive in here, so I could put the bottle down for a moment. Um, <laughs> Durr comes in and has a season high game of fi- uh, 15 points. By the way, yeah, uh, against Cincy. 
if that doesn't prove the impact he has, I don't know what does. So I, I, before people are like, oh, well, you know, you're fans and you're just stupid with the blow. I mean, the South Florida thing, Jeff, yeah, it kind of is in that case. But that's okay. I'm not mad at you. But um, I also think that's a Durr situation as well. If he's present, if somebody big is present, a lot of these things go a different way. Over and above the heartbreaking buzzer beater stuff. And we talk about, you know, uh, uh, what is it? A chuck from half court. These killer flailing shots as you're talking about. I know those are heartbreaking in their own right, but we got to get in a little X and O there. As much as people are going to put this on Johnny Dawkins, which is adorable fans. I know fans blame the coach for everything when it doesn't go well. Um, but this is a lot of, I would make the argument that Dawkins is the only reason a conference tournament will get, uh, uh, could possibly propel UCF to another postseason place. A lot of other lesser entities, especially considering uh, Dawkins' salary, I say again, people, the mean green. If let's pretend, uh, first and foremost, among anything else with performance, it's his salary that's keeping him in the building. Let's be real, right? You know, um, with all that it, it put together, the fact that it's even this much of a chance of postseason action, I think, is in itself a Herculean effort. Fans, this is how good a job Johnny Dawkins did, guys. We were expecting basically nothing from this season because of all the departures that took place and what little air quotes we had returners as far as, um, you know, from this year to last year. Right. So basically three, three regular guys coming back from last it year. Was a new right. Team. And all yeah. the injuries. Yeah. A completely different team for the most part. And actually there's another team that had even less, fewer returning starters from last year. More on that later, I'm sure. But um, with all of that, you managed to forget, fans, how far along or how far behind, I should say, this team was, and they've come this far along since, right? I think yeah, I'm I, arguing that Dawkins did a good enough job to make himself look bad, I guess. I don't know. Well, well no, no, no. You bring up the point. You bring up the point right there. His success is why people are frustrated. Because if you really look at the Johnny Dawkins era, it's the best era in the Division One era in UCF basketball. I'm a big Kirk Sparrow guy, all right? Yeah. But you look at the Kirk, Sp Kirk Sparrow era, it was up and down. And that's what happens when you're in a small league like the A-Sun. Uh, you know, you're basically your, – your season comes down to one week, which is the conference tournament. Kirk was very successful four times. Props. But you look at what happened at CUSA. Kirk struggled. Look at Donnie Jones. Struggled. Do you realize Johnny Dawkins right now, they're on pace. They're, uh, I believe their Ken Palm is in the 50s. They're on pace to have – a third for the third time have a rankings in the Ken Palm or the net rankings, RPI, whatever you want to use in the fifties or better. They never did that under Donnie Jones. They didn't do that under Kirk Sparrow. They're always in the hundreds. So this has actually been a good era. The problem is there's a percentage of people out there that think we're a basketball school when they probably haven't been to a game. So, uh, and we're not. It just hasn't. Newsflash. UCF has never been a basketball school in the division. No, it hasn't. And, and, to and I'm point, a, yeah. to your point, Eric, I want to say this really quick. The reason why you need to hit that, because you're absolutely right, UCF has never has been a basketball school, may never be, and that's okay. But all those awesome stats that you mentioned about rankings and, and all the, the these um, polls and all that, the UCF fan doesn't know anything about. So, again, they don't know how good they got it. That's what well, I'm getting at. Uh, to some, to some. 
they don't care either. Uh, they they see well, very black and white. They don't see the the underlining tones that can build towards success. However, well, I, I think and Drew, I, sorry to interrupt, Drew. I, I think that what you're trying to say, though, and and I want to know, and I want to know what you think specifically about this, Drew, is I think that this is what happens when you're a quote football school end quote right. is fans apply football logic to basketball. Exactly. Yeah. Where they, they expect you know. Tournament or bust. Yeah. Um, if you if you don't win, you suck, and you know, and, and you don't, you, you know, and, and uh, you lose this one. Ah, oh, the season's over. You know, and, and like, no, you got to let the season develop. And, and think about it. you know college football mentality. Oh, over eighty teams out of the one hundred thirty-four, I think it is, uh, get into a bowl game. That mm-hmm. that's well over fifty percent. Now you let's apply that to college basketball. There is what about 330 Division One teams or so, give or take. Yep. Uh, 68 get in the NCAA tournament. Math. 32 get into the NIT. 16 get into the CBI. That's it. Now let's look at where UCF is currently sitting. Did a little bit of uh, bracketology lookup. UCF is in every NIT bracketology right now as either a three, four, or five seats. They're right in the middle of that uh, of the hunt. So this this could easily be an NIT team uh, that that's playing in the postseason and and don't poo poo the NIT. There's a lot of good teams playing postseason basketball in that tournament. Otherwise, they wouldn't be playing basketball in that Especially tournament. Especially with this team that had no expectations. There was no expect. Nobody yeah. said this team should be a tournament team. Like again, listen, that's listen. Where- I got receipts from people prior to the season who'd be like, "Oh my God, we're not even going to make the NIT with this roster." I got receipts, folks. It's been and, a good and here's team. the thing: the NIT is not like the C, the the the, uh, the CBI, which is a paid pay to play tournament. Uh, it's actually you know owned by the NCAA. It's it's respectable and and it's basically like it's it's basically the second grade tournament. But when only sixty eight out of three hundred thirty plus schools get in, you know what? You you being in that second tier, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You're still in the top third of the country. Yeah. Think about that. UCF, not a basketball school in the top third of the country. Right. This was um, the school. This was the school. Okay. Prior to Kirk Sparrow, that had arguably the worst Division One basketball program in the country. If you look up the '80s, there was not a worse basketball oh, yeah. program. There, there's no history here. There's no. We're not a blue blood. Look at the blue bloods this year in college basketball. Louisville has four wins this year. Four. <laughs> North Carolina. Here's one for you, Eric. Go look at go look at Florida State. Remember that game in the schedule? We were like, all right, Leonard Hamilton coming to town, and they're in the two hundreds in the net. Well, well, no, let me ask you because you went to Syracuse. That is a basketball school. With all due respect to Donovan McNabb and company, Uh, yes, Syracuse is a. What has happened to Jim Beheim the last few years there? Uh, He checked out a few years ago. And collected a paycheck at this yeah, point. He's, he, yeah, he he just decided to coach until all of his sons were done graduating, and then that was it. Like he, you know, he's, <laughs> well, you, you know, it, you got, it, yeah. I mean, they're going to miss the tournament this year at the NCAA Syracuse, barring a run in the ACC tournament. North Carolina was the number one preseason ranked team in the country right now. On the, <laughs> and on they the may not make the tournament, program. right? And right. Are, know, didn't it? And these are programs that care about basketball, that invest a ton of money <laughs> in basketball, and they're struggling. So now yeah, can, Carolina might not make it. Like uh, who? Who else? Uh, Duke is, gonna, is struggling. Yeah, Duke is hanging on. Uh, it, we, we talked about Car- Wisconsin, yeah, who's usually yeah. in there, is 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 struggling. 
Um, Texas Tech, Arizona State, these other teams, you know, I mean, are they are they Duke and Carolina? No, but we usually see their names pop up on Selection Sunday more often than not, and they're not they're they're struggling. Yeah. Look at, look at a program like Ohio State, which is usually like a uh, kind of like a, a second tier team that gets in the tournament. Yeah. They're terrible. They're absolutely yeah. terrible. They're blown out every night in the Big Ten, it seems like. And I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, Coach Holtman's a good Florida's Ohio bad State. this year. Florida's not going to make the tournament. Miami's probably the only team in the state, really, in NFAU. But FAU, again, is in a, in a small league in CUSA where everything's more of a, you know, you what you can have a good year. Uh, yeah. So I, it's hard, man. It's hard. Look, I'm not saying you have to – I'm not saying you have to be happy. I mean, it's frustrating. Believe me. We're all fr- – I mean, look at poor Kyle. I've never seen him – I'm worried for his well-being. Like, we need some wins to get this guy out of his he bed. He needs here. a wellness well, check. Well, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me spin that forward. Nice segue, Eric. Four games to go. Two road, two home. Uh, Wednesday night, South Florida. At Tulsa. Oh, God, we got to go to Tulsa again. Um, at Temple, another relative house of horrors. And then – uh, and then ECU on senior night, March the 5th. Um, now, win out, and you're at 19 and 11, and, and excuse me, and 10 and 8 in the league heading into the conference tournament. My next question to you, is, and I want to go to Kyle actually for this one first. Let's say that happens. All right. And I think the Temple game is going to be the toughest one out of all those. But anyway, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because it's on the road. I think if it's at home, it's a different thing. But, it is, but again, I'm looking for Durr versus Reynolds and seeing what happens. The only reason Reynolds was made the biggest factor is because they had a lot of backcourt uh, issues and injuries. But I digress. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, all right, so let, but let's say, let's, let's go best-case scenario regular season. They win out. They're at 19 wins. You go into the conference tournament. We checked it. If they stay right now in the standings, as it is, as, if this conference tournament started right now, guess who UCF would play in the first round? USF. <laughs> so, with, from that perspective, does this team have enough to make a, a surprise run in the conference tournament? And if so, what's the thing that we would need to see them get better at so that they peak at that moment? So I can answer your final question first. Stay bleeping healthy. (laughs) Good God, that is definitely the biggest thing, and it's not close. Nobody else go down for the rest of the season. And you're like, oh, but Kyle, that's obvious. Listen, fellas, last year, the guys got hurt at this time last year and completely canned any uh, hope of NIT and things like that. And this is a better team than that one. And you want to know what else that team did last year? They took care of business against USF in the first round of the conference tournament. By the way, they had both their big guys in CJ Walker and Chicken Bake Jong on the floor. By the way, thank you for the opportunity to mention Bake. I appreciate that, Jeff. It's always fun to talk about him. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but um, with all that in mind, and I mentioned the front court specifically, while CJ Walker won't be on the floor, Taylor Hendricks and Michael Durr are an excellent starting front court pairing. Big fan. And if you're not a fan of Taylor Hendricks by now, regardless of your UCF fanhood, that's a you problem. But, and I'll excuse any uh, uh, USF people in that conversation because he's probably had good games against you, but or a good game against you. But um, I think the opportunity to sweep is there. That's always, you know, tough. 
to win out like that in a pressure situation. But I think there's a lot of reasons why that looks good. One, for any panelist who's talking about UCF's future, should they be successful in the conference tournament as well? And we're talking, you know, NCAA or NIT. The fact that you came back healthier and prevented sweeps from conference teams, psychologically, that's a good thing and that's helpful. Which in the case of a Temple, it's one, a Temple and USF yeah. in particular, that's that's Those are two games that, that yeah they they look at and they're like man we get, we 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 got to get them back for those games right yeah exactly and if you do that the panel will be like well you were without all these guys and then you got them back and you beat them interesting how that works you know it, it's psychologically for the panel evaluating that means something right yeah. now and I know Drew's going to come in well this math will negate that sure they have to win all the games first Drew I understand that but um. I think the opportunity is there. And I think as long as that front court stays shored up, they got a rotating kind of a, a triangle nucleus there with Taylor Hendricks, Lehatun, Michael Durr, all that I think's enough. And then you listen, CJ Kelly, for a guy who was starting out the season as the top backup, has come in, put in big time minutes, done his job, played through some big I say big hits, but like, you know, this is a guy. Who, who has gotten throttled at times on the floor, playing as an oversized guard, you yeah. know, getting into spaces that guards don't normally get and getting bumped around doing it and still thriving. This guy, man, listen, he might be, between him and Durr, we're going to have a lot of conversations in the bannies about best transfer this year hmm. from those two guys alone. Mark yeah. that, Bryson. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. So. Elo, um, that's gonna be a tough one to vote on. Is is gonna be transfer of the year? There's, there's a, a number of candidates. Yeah, I know we might have to do like multiple ones, but um, actually, Drew, let me let me go to you and then Elo to wrap uh, wrap this up. What do you think? They got enough? If they pull it together, you think they got enough gas to make a run? Uh, well, I don't think they're gonna win the turn the conference tournament. Uh, right. I, I just you know the, a lot of this is as as Kyle said is psychological. You know, when you lose on those buzzer beaters, it, it takes the confidence out of you. <clears throat> and as we've seen with those one possession or very short, you know, very short, uh, you know, deficit games, they have trouble closing out. That's a mental thing. You know, they miss key shots. Look, look at what happened against Memphis. They had yeah. multiple chances to put that one away, and they missed each one of them. Uh, you know, they blamed the coaching. In the end of the game, players make shots. You know, are they do they make the shot? Do they not? Uh, you had guys missing at point blank range. I mean, mm. what more can you can you do? You're in position to make the shot. You don't make the shot. That becomes a confidence issue that gets in your head. That's obviously so, the coach's fault, Drew. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, the next four games very important. You got a couple of chances for revenge. Get those out of your system. They win all four. It doesn't matter what happens in the conference tournament. They're going to be in the NIT. You know, guarantee at the minimum. Uh, they're they're still you know between a three and a five seed right now, depending on which bracketology site you're looking at. That that's very healthy. So there's room there. Uh, I don't think they're going to fall out of the NIT outside of an epic collapse to close this season. They should at least make the second round of the conference tournament. Then it starts becoming a little bit more of a crapshoot. But I don't see them winning it all. I don't see them getting in the NCAA tournament. There's just there's just not enough left uh, in the season to pull it off. But, you know, the season's far from over. And as I said before, the NIT is still, you know, the fact you qualify for it, it's not like something you buy into. Right. Uh, it's still something to be proud of. Uh, look what they did, you know, the first year when they went to the NIT semifinals. I, you remember that game against Illinois? The house was packed. 
the atmosphere in the arena was insane. I mean, they can get there. They can do that. It can happen again. Yeah. I tell you, it's, it, it is, it is one of those things. It, and, and I think we're going to find out right now, like what is the mental toughness of this team? Eric, I want to, I want to wrap up with you here, you know, and, and that's kind of what I look at is you can do one of two things. You can say, well, Jesus, just not our year. And then, and, and then you fold mentally because of those, because of those close losses, or you buck up and you say, Hey, you know, we we left a few on the table there. Now's the time to really rally. We should have these games. We, we should have had these games. Let's let's finish out here and do what we're supposed to do. What well, do you think is going to happen? Well, no, they're going to play hard. I mean, they've played hard just about every game. I don't think that's a concern. It's, it's yeah. totally different character there. Again, they just haven't had some uh, good. They've not had good fortune really uh, in most of these close games. But look, uh, is if our nitologist uh, Drew Glukoff is correct uh, <laughs> and and making the nit. Uh, this team has would be that would be three postseason seasons under Coach Dawkins. If they finish strong, it would be their fourth time they've had 19 wins or more in the Dawkins era, which is way more than the previous uh, UCF coaches in the Division One era had since Conference USA 2005. I'm not counting a Sun again. A Sun's a different uh, ball game. So again, we. You're actually in a very successful run basketball-wise in UCF basketball history. Uh, could there be some tweaks? Sure. But there ain't many people that can have this. I'm telling you, there is not many coaches in this country that would take this job at the current climate that it has. Not unless somebody else wants to donate $4 million or $5 million on a consistent basis to the basketball program and help improve other facilities. <laughs> Because I'm telling you, this is not an easy job. It's the hardest job of any UCF coach of any UCF sport on campus by far. That's I mean, a hell of a sales pitch, there, Eric. Yeah, let, let, let me queue up. Let me queue up, Doctor Evil. We only need four million dollars, right? Nah, well, I mean, we. Nah, I mean, nah, I, nah. Yeah, I mean, I looked at it before. We're we're what second or third from the bottom in the American, right? In men's basketball budget you know i think we're right there with like south florida and ecu and moving that into the big 12 now you could say well obviously that's going to improve in the big 12 well you hope so but <laughs> not guaranteed but it's not guaranteed it's, because, it, right it's not a guarantee because there's you know there, i mean there's a lot of football infrastructure that's also going to be coming that way too so you know i mean man uh, it's it it is one of those things where it's it it's right there, but the investment I think, man, I hope it's coming. It's because you know these this program deserves it. You know, well, you I mean, know the lack of revenue is obviously the coach's fault, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, all you gotta do is bring in a new coach, and magic money will just magically appear. <laughs> magic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that one right there. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna listen. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we got some softball and baseball to talk about. Uh, Eric is still recovering. He's got the aloe vera out from his trip out to Clearwater for UCF softball. Um, I think he looks good. What can I say? I just want basketball to win some games so Cal can be healthy again. My goodness, this, this <laughs> I know, I know. We need hey, we need this one on. We need this one on Wednesday night against South Florida, no doubt. Get these guys back. Send this. Send them. Send them limping back to Tampa with their last <laughs> loss in the series. Oh, look at them. Kyle's like, oh, God. 
Jack, you're the get PA this. guy. Fix it. <laughs> you're the PA guy. Fix, fix it. it. That's my favorite one. I like it. Yeah, I know. I know. I got I, I to gotta get this. All right. Um, stick around. I'll be right back. This is Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. We're back here on the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Jeff, Eric, Drew, and Kyle with you. Um, I got some football stuff I wanted to touch upon uh, real quick as Kyle is still just reeling at the moment from, from the previous basketball stuff, segment. Um, there's been some discussion of some rule changes uh, in, uh, in college football. Uh, the college football commissioners are considering four in particular that we wanted to talk about. I got Ross Dellinger put, uh, pulled up here to talk about them. Uh, let's see. All right. I, I want to take a quick poll. Thumbs up, thumbs down. The four of us. All right. Uh, rule number one, preventing consecutive time. These are all to speed up the game. Preventing consecutive timeouts, i.e. no more icing the kickers. Thumbs up, thumbs, thumbs up, down. Thumbs up. All right. All four thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> uh, number two, no longer extending the first or third quarter for an untimed down if that quarter ends on a defensive penalty. Thumbs up. Like, Thumbs up. I didn't know that they I didn't know that they did that for the first quarter. I know you do that in at the end of a half. Yeah, but I didn't know they did that in first and third quarter. That was kind of weird. It actually came up in a game. Somebody screwed up a call at one of UCF's games, and I forget which one it was. Drew, you'll probably kickstart it. But um they 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 were going to flip into the next quarter, but there was a penalty, so they rolled it quarter back, and it was just a bunch of confusion. I forget which game it was this season, but I forget which game it was myself. But uh, but you yeah, remember it happened it's not, it's too, not but ne- it's not a necessary thing. I, I I don't think that one will affect too much. Right. No, that's that is still uh, a rare occurrence. That's why uh, Dellinger calls it non-controversial. <laughs> yeah, because because there's not enough evidence for it to be controversial. Um, the third, the third and fourth ones are actually pretty interesting. All right. Number three, the clock will continue to run after the offense gets a first down, except inside of two minutes in a half. What do we think? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Hallelujah. A hundred. Finally come to your senses. I'm okay with it. As long as they keep the, the clock stoppage in the final two minutes. See, and that's the best compromise. I mean, listen, for all intents and purposes, this game is actually to prepare players for the pros. So in my mind, it should always be running. And I I never understood what the first down stoppage personally. But for those like Jeff, who are the purists, who are like, who want the first down stop to remain that final two minutes, great compromise. Listen, I'm complimenting the committee here. They did something right. All right. The fourth one, which Ross characterizes as the most controversial proposal. The clock will continue to run after an incomplete pass once the ball is spotted for play. Thumbs down, I say. Elo's going to be thumbs up on this one, isn't he? Yeah, sure. Let's get out of here. Let's go home, man. <laughs> Two hours. Let's go. All right, we got well, okay. to do Why got are you there? Give me a good it, – it, it, not your, it, not your <laughs> like, okay, you got stuff to do and – you know, things to see no, and no, people to do, as they say. What's I'm, what's the reason why you're in favor of this? I want to know. Actually, actually, I'm not in favor of that last. <laughs> oh! Okay. I'm not. Okay. But I am in favor of speeding up the game because we, we're we all hypocrites. On one hand, we're, we're concerned about the player's health and CTE and brain. But on the other hand, it's like, let's run 80 plays, 90 plays down everybody's throat. I think it's insane. I think... 
to me, the first down thing is is easy. Like nobody huddles anymore in this sport. Like it's not going to affect them that much. It's not like, oh my God, we're huddling and we got all this clock. I think we do need, and I think it would help the product because I think there are too many coaches, <clears throat> Josh Heupel, that is more concerned <clears throat> about wow. running 90 plays and trying to tri- get the defense off balance than actually executing the play. And I think maybe now that the clock's constantly running, coaches will actually be more focused on actually executing the play instead of trying to worry about running as many plays as quickly as possible. I think that's hey, a, big a big problem in the sport. Chip Kelly's a Big Ten coach now, too. Give him his credit, man. <laughs> so, no, I think it's good. I saw when the college football this past year averaged three, almost, what, three hours and 20-some minutes? That's insane. Yeah. I mean, Kyle, you and I covered the NFL. Like, an NFL game that goes three and a half hours is like, what, once in a blue moon? Maybe when Rihanna's performing at halftime? I mean, get a Super Bowl? That's about it. Like, it, it's yeah, insane. I, I mean, and then a football game should never go longer than three hours. Never. Three hours should be the target, but to your point, there are things that can yeah. happen. Pass happy teams, injuries, you know, uh, um, sure. the, the way the way the uh, Jacksonville Jaguar playoff victory against the Chargers went, you could see why that was long because of the nature of the game and sure, sure. all the turnovers and stuff. But yeah, overall, I think three hours is a good target. But then again, we talk about the NFL. It's a lot easier for them to command demand revenue per add minute or second but that's what's interesting though the nfl does a great job with the revenue trust me no sport makes more revenue than the nfl with commercial with sponsors and everything but they ate they don't mess up the tv product like they find a way to but that's my point they can't charge as much for airtime per second or whatever because the cost the cost of playing football generally speaking stays the same the product that the revenue demands doesn't right so if you're somebody Who's in? Let's say you know not to uh, talk trash on 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 the conference that UCF is now leaving, but the American who is not in the Power Five but is a bigger G five entity made a great campaign at least theoretically being a Power Six, you know, being kind of that mid major in football to steal a term, right? They don't necessarily have that same revenue and can't be like, oh, well, we want to shorten games, screw commercials. That conference can't afford to do that. So that's something got to re- wrestle with, and they got to get creative and streamline the game itself, which I think these rules do. Go ahead. Well, here's here's something to keep in mind, and and you kind of tapped into it a little bit, Kyle, without even realizing you did it. The NFL. You're that sure I didn't know? Yeah. Being, <laughs> you know, being a league, being a league, they they say here's the way it is. Here's the <clears> way it is. Exactly. However, every conference has a different setup with with the television partners. Right. Uh, every network has a different setup. So like you look at CBS sports that runs 10 hours of commercials during a single (laughs) (laughs) in fact, they actually have a policy. If the first quarter goes too fast, they backload it. Yeah. They're getting their commercial time and they will backload the rest of the game to make up for it. So, uh, the NFL can say, Hey, you're only going to have two, two and a half minutes of commercials. That's it. You make it work. You want yeah. our product, you make it work. Bingo. In the NCAA level, every conference having their own thing, every network doing their own thing, it's, hey, you want us to broadcast yourself? We got to make our ends meet. We run the commercials how long we feel like doing, and mm. you're going to deal with it. Drew, that was I, exactly I'm in favor what of, I was tapping into, for the record, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm in favor of – by the way, if those of you who are wondering, hey, didn't they install – 
you know, games to speed or rules to speed up the clock several years ago, and then they they undid those rules. You're right. In 2006, uh, these rules I thought at the time were draconian almost. Um, in 2006, a kickoff on a kickoff, the game clock, the game clock would start when the ball is kicked rather than when the team when the receiving team touches it. And by the way, Wisconsin and Penn State, there was some controversy off of that. Um, in a game between those two, um, Wisconsin figured out a hack where they deliberately went offsides on two straight kickoffs to run time off the clock at the end of the first half. They got that from Belichick, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they got that from Belichick. Um, here's the one that was really draconian. On a change of possession, the clock would start when the referee marks the ball ready for play instead of on the snap. Now, they says this was the NFL rule prior to 1973. Um, that one was really draconian. I, th- I think that when you change possession, the clock should start at the snap. Like that, that's, you know, I, I thought that one was really, was really, really tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you guys real quick, uh, just survey each of you. What rule would you install to speed up the game that has not been mentioned anywhere here? Um, Kyle, I want to start with you. You know, the way I get around it is now, and, and you know, forgive me, freshly off of the first weekend of XFL action here covering uh, our own Orlando Guardians featuring UCF's Terrence Plummer as a starting middle linebacker. Um, but the, I think what would actually not only speed up the game or at least make it feel faster for the viewing audience is if they enact the uh, officials review that the XFL does, right? Each coach gets one challenge for literally anything. And then the office in New York and their edition of whoever Dean Blandino would be, would look it over. And then that could also be the part of the experience as well. Because what I come to find uh, watching actually the Guardians game in particular, the first touchdown of the game, the first score in Guardians history, went to the booth like this. And you watched that whole exchange of them. You saw the videos they saw. You heard the conversation. It isn't like now when, you know, you're, you're, and I'm not going to call the American out because they're not the only conference, but a UCF game, there's something like that that happens. They won't put the uh, video up on the jumbo from in the stadium and they hide behind it. Like it's some sort of government operation or something. (laughs) No, make it transparent because while that does take time and rightly so, it would also keep fans engaged and you can make it, well, we're going to go to the Cheetos halftime yeah. Or uh, Cheetos official review with blah blah. Now you got ad space that, to sell, and you get the best of both worlds. Right? I, I tell you what, that also, but that also puts that replay official on a bigger spotlight than even the on-field officials. I think, like a guy like Dean Blandino, like he's used to being on TV, but you know, some other guy. I mean, it's that would be tough. And then, you know, where's your central office? Is that at the conference office? So. Hey, listen, those are all then what, do you, what do you do on and then what do you do on non-conference games? Well, th- that could all be handled through the networks, if you ask me, Jeff. Right. We have all these alleged college experts. Granted, don't make it Booger McFarlane. But like somebody at ESPN or Fox or whoever. What did Booger McFarlane do to you, man? He's told he's told talented people's job of analyzing college football. Wow. That's what he did. Wow. Anyways, oh my God. Listen, wow. I said it. He's a great defensive tackle. He's not a good analyst. I'm sorry. Listen. You, you said spicier stuff than this on this show, Eric Lopez. I want to hear it. Anyways. Um, no, with all that in mind, and they also got Drew's net, uh, name wrong that network. Anyways, 
But, uh, <laughs> but um, no, I say all that jokingly to say, um, you know, I think that's something that could be done through the networks. And you get a college name, they'll have the money to give whoever it is, you know, the necessary credentials, right, to to handle all that. And, and that could be done through a central office at the network. I think that would mm-hmm. be – now, granted, yeah. there may be questions about, well, the SEC is going to get the calls because of blah, blah, blah. Well – we could fish all that later, but they, don't tell me the logistics can't be worked out to make that happen. Well, Drew, yeah, me, what me, rule would you? Well, oh, sorry, Eric. Well, I, I want to get you. Let me follow up on Kyle. Let me follow up on the something about the replay. The mm. NFL. One thing they've done very smartly, quietly, when there is a challenge, there's a review. They go straight to commercial, right? right. They don't stay with. They don't stay, and then they come back. There's a ruling. I think college football should do the same. Go to commercial when there's a review. Don't stay there. I think that would help. Yeah, I, you know what I would do is I would do the thing that we, we've seen in some in some parts of the um, of the NFL. If there's a com- if you go to a commercial during a replay review, put the replay review in the second box. I mean, like yeah, a picture if we got to watch. If we got so we can watch- see the replay while the commercial while the while the ads are running. Drew, what rule would you add? Ooh, um, well, uh, I, I would, I won't say like enforcement of rule uh, of current rules, such as like forward progress. When you go out of bounds, keep the clock running. Uh, the NFL does a better job of keeping the clock running in out of bounds situations, bringing the ball back more so than college does. You see a lot more stoppages in, in time. Part of that's because of the whole first down thing, which will go away. Uh, so I, I think, and it comes back to the the issue of conference officials. Get rid of conference officials. Standardize better. I agree with you on that one, but how would that speed up the game? I was going to ask. Uh, that, because yeah. they would actually, you know, get the calls right, which means you would have to have less reviews. Uh, <laughs> you have a standard of play, thus make it a little more efficient. See, you were on my case. I like how you landed McFarlane. that, Drew. I'm not going to lie. That was y'all that was pretty clever. Were, y'all were giving me a hard time for Booker McFarland. Where are you for this, Eric? This is spicy. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, what rule would you add other, other than, you know, shortening quarters to five minutes? Oh, <laughs> that would be... Wow. Play it like oh, look, I, ball with a seconds go like... like oh, one I second love Tecmo Bowl. game Tec- second clock. Uh, no, Tecmo Bowl was my favorite game. You, you know, on Tecmo, Bowl, uh, on Tecmo Bowl, actually, unless you went out of bounds, the clock would stop after seven seconds. I think Kyle and Drew have nailed it perfectly. I mean, again, I don't think this is very complicated. I really don't. That's what frustrates me. It's like, I really think there's are simple things that will cut like at least 20, 25 minutes in a game and just get a better pace of the game, get a better product in the game uh, because I mean, people complain about baseball going forever. I mean, if you're watching a college football game or you're in person, it seems like it's it's lasting forever. And yeah, but baseball's I, I already think, boring. So, uh-huh. well, I'm gonna <laughs> let me take my thing and knock and, and push it a little bit forward. Uh, Doug Gabriel was, was 2002 at Penn State. Yeah, uh, actually, was interviewed and he said the rep, one of the officials there, told them that they're not going to win there. And some calls were kind of missed. Like, we don't, you know, you're not winning with that kind of play here. Uh, he flat out said <laughs> conference official, which was a Big Ten official for that game, basically messed up their chances of winning. Because if you remember, uh, Penn State, that game got down to the wire. Uh, it, yeah. it was a three-point game. Uh, it was actually – Yeah, 27-24. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Kyle and I were at that game. Oh, that's the Larry Johnson game. Sure. 
yeah, um, that was when they, they first opened up the expansion. And by the end of the game, you can hear a pin drop. Uh, but uh, Doug Gabriel was interviewed and basically said the, the officials said that, you know, you're not going to win. Well, I, 1999, the phantom oh call, home cooking referees, get rid of conference officials, and you have a better chance for hey. some of this BS to go away. It messes I, up the game, geez. which slows things down. Man. I think I think the problem is not the fact they're associated with a conference, although I agree with you. I mean, get rid of it. It's stupid. But I think you're giving them too much credit. I think they're just incompetent in general. Uh, but trust me, nice. if it, trust me, the I football always, has yeah, it. I always come back to this. I always come back to this. Everyone always complains about officials in every sport. What's your alternative? Robo umps, robo officials. I mean, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. I can't even get Chat GPT to recognize that Dylan Gabriel did not play for UCF in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe he did. That was why Oklahoma struggled. I, I, I've got here's, here's here's the thing. I, I this this would be my rule change if I was made college football emperor for one day. If you are up forty points in the Ooh, second yes, half, yes, yes, good call. Running clock, wonderful, wonderful. Running wonderful. clock, baby. Forty points in the second half. Running clock. By the way, I'm not even opposed to And by the way, I'll, I'll shrink it 35 points at the start of the fourth, fourth quarter running clock. Nice. How about this? You could even do a run roll. If, if the game is like a 50, 60-point game, like why are we playing another snap and hey, it works putting the risk of a player getting Cincinnati injured? in 2017. You know, they, they, <laughs> right, right. The weather right, but we had to call upon it. It, was, it wasn't the officials who made that call. It was Mother Nature. <laughs> the, the weather mercy ruled the game. Um, no, I, I agree with that. That's a good call. I like that rule a lot. I think you'll have a hard time. I think you'll have a hard time instituting that for conference games, but I definitely think for non-conference games, I agree with that. I, I would, I would institute that. I, I would, I would institute a running clock. If, I, if, if problem, one team is up by the reason 35 yeah. or more in the fourth quarter. Right. I agree. Coaches are going to complain because they want to get all their players in. But my argument to that is then don't complain when you get into Dude, that's what practice is for. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. I like that rule a lot, though. I, I like that so, rule a lot. Uh, that, that, that's what I – because I, I think, you know, if you have a really close high-scoring game, it's like, you know, as a fan, I don't want that to end. You know, I'm excited. I'm engaged. The games that, that as a fan, if I'm watching on TV, that bore the living tar out of me is when it's – is when, you know, Florida State is playing, you know – Tarleton and 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 it's 63 14 with 10 minutes yeah. to go in the third quarter I'm like I'm out of here man yeah, I you the know games we're addressing right I don't think we're addressing you know uh, Michigan Ohio State right Buckeye I, I don't well, think we are Georgia TCU here. though Georgia TCU we definitely needed a running clock in that uh, yeah okay yeah Georgia TCU well <laughs> would you would you do that in a in a postseason game no in in a game like that yes I would in a I would have the championship no. game Absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, if it's 65 to 7, 65 hey. to 7, what I, are you playing I, for? It's 65 I'm, to 7. I, I would, I would do it. I would start with non-conference games. I agree. But in playoff games, no. We play that thing out. 
six, we're going to play a 65-7 game? Why? Yep. Hey, yeah. listen, I had to sit through in the Citrus Bowl with Purdue and LSU. I get it. I had to live that life. The biggest blowout in Citrus Bowl history. The well, there's, 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 just something, there's just something about, like, there, there's just something. Yeah. Well, there's just something about, like, doing that in a playoff game. I'm like, eh, no, 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 no. Like, could you imagine if they had run rules in, like, the Major League Baseball playoffs? They sh- yeah. I think they shouldn't have run rules in the regular season, but in the in the playoffs, no. But baseball playoffs very rarely it's a blowout. I mean, again, we're we're really going extreme here. Like the odds of a sixty-five-seven playoff game in college. That's my point, right? right. I, I, that's, that's, that's the other point too. Right, how- the fact of I saw a twelve-run comeback in Major League Baseball in the seventh <sighs> inning off. I, I only yeah. approve of I only approve of playing through a sixty-five-seven game if Andrew's wife is part of the broadcast, like she was. <laughs> <in> the- <laughs> For the opener, because that's that, that kept it us only entertained. Works if it's her team involved, otherwise it's like she does, it's like don't care itis. But oh, if it's UCF, out. if it's a UCF game, by God. Well, I'm glad you're a team she's rooting for, Drew. <laughs> Someone has to. <laughs> yeah, God. All right, let me. Um, all right, so we're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, okay? Kyle and Drew are gonna dip out here. When we get back, we're gonna have Nick and Bryson on. A right, talk. You notice how Kyle sounded better. You notice how he sounded better talking football all of a sudden? I know. I saw it. Like the color, the color came back to his face. You know, he's 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 it's coming back. It's it's, you you know what helped was Drew talking about the NIT and giving UCF postseason basketball a chance. I'm with that. I'm in. I'm in. All right. Uh, Drew is at Stat Boy Drew on Twitter. Kyle is at the SOTG for the student of the game. Uh, Make sure you follow them uh, in the upcoming week. Uh, as well for any football and UCF basketball news. All right, when we get back, Nick and Bryson pop in. We're going to talk softball. We're going to talk baseball. We're going to talk. We're going to catch up on women's basketball and all the other goings on at UCF. When we return, this is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll be right back. We're back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you, joined by Bryson and Nick to do ra- a little roundup here at the end. Um, and we are going to lead with UCF. So I know baseball started this weekend, but they played Siena for like the umpteenth year in a row to start the season. We'll get to that sweep in a little bit. But we got to talk about softball out at the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational, Eric Lopez. You were out there. You have the sunburns to prove it. Uh, three ranked teams. UCF goes one and two against the likes of Michigan. They got a win against Michigan. Lost to Duke in 10. Lost to Alabama in eight. Um but uh, finished uh, lost also lost the Texas A and M seven nothing in their second game, but beat Mississippi State on national television on ESPN two in prime time six to five. Uh, you have your article up on uh, your around the bases article up on the site, but I wanted to get your takes right here. All right, so hey, two and three weekend last year they went what three and two two and four they went two, two and four, four. okay so two and three this this past weekend. Uh, in Clearwater, and by the way, that was on the heels of uh, of an eleven to eight loss uh, against number twenty three Mizzou. So, okay, records five and five, but I'm guessing you're going to tell me put that aside and let's just talk about the quality of play overall right now because that was a pretty solid showing over in Clearwater. No, yeah, it really was, and in fact, the polls have just come out as we record this. They're still in the top 25 in all the polls. I think they're 23 or 24, depending on which poll you look at. So, obviously, the pollsters respect that. Look, this is – I'm telling you, this tournament is like, like a mini World Series. It's a monster event. 
uh, that ESPN's done a great job producing there, basically. You mentioned UCF on ESPN 2 Sunday night. Big exposure. It is like a World Series. Thousands of people all over the field. And I do think it's funny. When you're there, you get caught up in this, thinking this is like the biggest tournament of the year. The season's over if you don't play well, when it's reality is just two weeks in. This team actually played better in this tournament this year than they did last year. Last year, they got run rolled, uh, I believe, a couple times during the tournament. They got blown out in like three of the games they played last year. So you look at this year, they beat up on Michigan, the rematch from the regional final, which was basically a made-for-TV matchup. Uh, They overpowered them. They played a clunker against A&M. A&M outplayed them in that second game. And then Saturday, the Duke-Alabama game were incredible games. The Duke game ends uh, has a one of maybe the most controversial call in the history of UC, against UCF softball that I can remember. Where really UCF uh, in the bottom of the top of the eighth, they go by the international rule. They have a runner at third. Jada Cody hits a fly ball to right. Jazz scores to go up four three. They throw to third and they call her out for leaving early. I'm fifty feet away. She did not leave early. I've left earlier to go get fast food than she did leaving third base. Okay. <laughs> And I had was there any, was there any TV footage of that? Yeah, there was TV footage. I wasn't there, but I had people blowing my phone uh, my phone up that were watching to say she didn't leave early. That that they, and then, and the weird mm. thing about it is normally in a play like that, the the other the opposing team asked for it. There's usually a delay for it. In this case, they were like going right away. It was almost like the umps were looking for it. Maybe Duke kind of said, maybe said something prior to it. Hey, look for this. Like, or watch or they're leaving the they're right. leaving the bag early or something. Uh, right, because there was a lot of those calls during the tournament. I mean, don't even get me started on the umpire in the tournament, but uh, it was a I'm bad. I'm going to get you started on anything having to do with any sort of officiating no. in any sport. But okay. hey, Drew was the hey Drew was the one that was going off on the football <laughs> side. All right, uh, but no, it's a terrible call, and that's unfortunate because I think UCF wins that game if that run stands. They lose in ten innings. They play Alabama, which was a fantastic game. It's one of the best games I've seen in person. Back and forth, UCF couldn't hold a four nothing lead. And then they come back Sunday night and another great game, beat Mississippi State, another one-run game. Uh, so I thought they played well. I know a lot of people are asking me about the pitching. Look, it, believe it or not, I wrote this on Black and Gold Banneret. They've actually given up lesser runs at this point in the season than they did last year at this point, which might surprise people uh, by a margin. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't questions still. Uh, certainly, Caitlin Felton kind of finally went deep into a game against A&M. Uh, Sarah Willis has the best stuff, but hasn't gone past the fourth inning yet. Will that develop as time goes? Who knows? That remains to be seen. But my point is, we're acting like you know the, the last year's pitching was dominant from day one, and it wasn't. They struggled early last year. So you hope that the pitching improves like pitching did last year. Remains to be seen if that happens. The good news is you've got a great offense that can back you up. They've hit 15 home runs as a team already. To put that in perspective, in 2008, when they won the CUSA championship in 69 games, they hit 15 home runs. So they have the offense. They've got that. They're battle-tested. And I think there's a long ways to go before we can make any evaluations on this team and what their peak is. But, yeah, it, it was a good tournament. You wish, obviously, you're two plays away from 4-1. and one. I mean, that's, the, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. All right, so they got uh, later today, we're recording this on Tuesday, Louisiana at home. Yep. They're at Stetson Wednesday, and then they host a tournament with Gardner-Webb, Louisville, and Purdue. Um, outlook for this tournament, what do you got? Or well, for this week, think, I should say. Well, think about it. Think of how many games that is. You're talking, what, uh, seven games? One, two, three, four, seven, seven games. 
Seven right. games in five days. That's a lot of games. So how do they handle basically a daily schedule? Uh, Louisiana is a top 25 team. They're a Sun Belt, uh, the favorites. They're a team like UCF. You could argue UCF and Louisiana alongside JMU have been the best non-Power 5 softball programs over the last decade or two. Or two. Uh, they have great tradition. This could be a slugfest. The Cajuns and UCF both have nine players on their rosters that have already hit a home run this year. So you got 18 players on both rosters combined that have already hit a home run. There's 25 <laughs> home runs combined between these two teams. If the wind's blowing out in Orlando, it could be a shootout again. Uh, so look for that's going to be a fantastic matchup. Better tell the left field crew to watch out, man. There's going to be some. Yeah. There's going to be some car insurance claims. <laughs> correct. Then you got Stetson. That's a renewal of the rivalry. They haven't played in a few years. They're up in Deland. You know that Stetson circled that game is a big game. Louisville's a team that just missed the NCAA's last year. They have a. They're a better team this year. They can make the NCAA push. Purdue's from the Big Ten. So again, Power Five teams. You know, and this is an important home uh, stretch here for UCF because then they go on the West Coast where they're going to be playing the number one ranked team in the country, UCLA, a part of that West Coast trip. So it doesn't get easier. Yeah. How do you – we'll see if this pitching – you want to see this pitching develop more. Angelina DeVoe, who I now call Miss Clearwater, really stepped <clears throat> up as their ace as far as the bullpen's concerned. She now has three, really wins, three wins in two years in Clearwater. Uh, so she's something about Clearwater. Hopefully, it's, you know, that goes. So yeah. I think she knows her role. Now it's a question of Willis, uh, you got Grace Jewell, and you got Felton. Can they kind of develop into quality starters to go deep in the game so you don't have to go four or five pitchers? That remains to be seen. We'll see you this week at home. Yeah, DeVoe, by the way, three and two on the season with a 2.62 and a whip of 0.8. No starts. Eight appearances. Welcome to this is, uh, yeah, it's baseball esque, isn't it? It's like she's yeah. the main setup in, guy. Uh, like in, in, in 18 and two thirds, Eric, 15 strikeouts, six walks, and opponents are hitting 145 against her. So, and that's, that's the best on the team. I think, and, and, you know, you were right. I, I think we got to get uh, handed to um, Grace Jewell, I think a little bit too, because, uh, you know, she's made two starts, four appearances so far, ERA of 1.5, whip of 1.61, and doesn't have a win or a loss on her yet, unfortunately. Yeah, right? it just, it's got to play itself out. Defense kind of hurt her a little bit. I mean, Willis has the good stuff. So uh, yeah. I want to see this pitching staff a little bit more, I agree with people that reached out. Yes. Does it have to get better? Absolutely. I think Coach Bumalo would tell you that. They got to get better if they want to get to where they want to get to, which is a super regional World Series. They're going to have to get better, but it's still early. It's two weeks into the season, and I know everybody's freaking out because they're using so many pitchers. I can tell you being in Clearwater, there are so many teams right now that are using uh, three, four pitchers in softball. It's become baseball, Jeff. Baseball has integrated itself to softball. In a lot well, of I was, was going to say, is, is that? Do you think that that's a a an ongoing trend that we're going to see from here on out, or is that like a early season thing where you're trying to feel out who is who fits into what roles? All of the above. All of the above you mentioned. I think part of it is early in the season you're playing a lot of games. Let's see what we have. Part of it is the transfer portal, Jeff. You got to make sure all your pitchers pitch because to keep them happy. Uh, right? Because otherwise they're like, well, if I'm not happy, I can bolt now. Uh, so that's part of it. Part of it's to technology, advanced te- technology. Uh, it, it hit people now can watch what a pitcher throws constantly. The other part of it is, and I've talked to many coaches, they're not as developed to throw deep into games anymore because in travel ball in high school, they're basically throwing two, three innings a game and that's it. So they're not mentally prepped to go 
pitch two games in a day like Allison Kime yeah. used to, or Lindsey Enders, or Mackenzie Otters, or Shelby. It's not that they're not capable; is they're not trained to do that in a high school club level. So a lot of times in the college level now, you actually the coaches have to develop them to build the endurance to go deep in the games because mm-hmm. they're not used to throwing it. So it's a combination of those reasons uh, that we're seeing more and more of this is more pitching staffs to try to offset these offenses and try to keep as many pitchers happy uh, because of the portal and, and developing them. And even though they're playing, you know, fewer games than they did back 20 years ago, I feel like a lot of these games are a lot more, I guess you would call high leverage, right? High leverage games. And remember, you notice there's not as many double headers midweeks as there used to be. I'm telling right. you, it's gone. It's gone the baseball route. And, you know, some people like that. Some don't. It is what it is. That's why we're seeing longer games in softball. Since this is a themed show about length of games, I will be fair that there is a concern around softball where games are going longer. And part of the reason is there's so many more pitching changes like baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks a lot, Tony Larusa. Thanks a lot. <laughs> appreciate you. Uh, speaking of the uh, uh, of the segue there, let's go to baseball. Uh, I know this I know it's kind of a little uh, late to the party here, but UCF baseball got underway. Uh, this weekend with a three-game sweep of the Siena Saints yet again. Siena coming down. It's it's like it's a, a tradition unlike any other, UCF and Siena, to start the season. Uh, Knights get the sweep, 3-0. They scored 22 runs on opening night. Uh, won 2-1 uh, on Saturday, close game, and then uh, run-ruled the Saints on Sunday. Um, Bryson and Nick, you guys were hanging out over, over there and checking things out. I... It, it, everything would it, uh, by the way UCF does play FAU Tuesday night at six uh, before they head to Clemson this weekend for a three game series but um, let's talk about this uh, this uh, Siena series real quick and Bryson I want to start with you um, things that we noticed anything we did anything that anything of concern I know that we had the one close game there they weren't all blowouts but uh, overall evaluation of opening weekend I think one thing we definitely want to make sure we look at whenever we uh, go into Johnny Leonardo Park or really anywhere really is what direction is the wind blowing? Let me explain. So on game one, the wind was blowing out and the ball, the home runs just went flying. They, they set, they tied a program record for the most team home runs in a game with seven. Ben McCabe alone hit three. Nick Romano, of course, in his first game back since like March 8, 2022, hit two. And then two, and then a couple of true freshmen, Drew Farrow and Brady Shannon, hit hit, hit one apiece. So home runs were a flying on Friday. On Saturday, the wind was blowing in. That didn't happen. In fact, they almost lost because they were because they kept trying to hit for power and the ball wasn't going out. Greg Lovely admitted admitted himself that. The, there were hit, balls hit that would have been home runs yesterday that were not home runs today. So that that was it was only because Brady Shannon, who Greg, it was so watch watch the Greg Lovelady interview for the full quote, but he basically m- mentioned that Greg Brady Shannon, who is a true freshman by the way, had much bigger muscles than he did. Brady Shannon <laughs> to muscle his way to to hit a home run out beyond the right center field fence against the wind for a walk off home run. So Saturday night, true freshman Brady Shannon really made his mark with that play there. Then on Sunday was where 
they I think they learned like that Sunday, I think, is a much more prototypical game because during that game is where you got much better with the line drives. You did you did get a couple of homers, one from Tom Jostin and one from Lex Bodecker. But that sort of game is the type of game you want to try to maybe have a lot more often where you're able to get runners on base and get them home. John Rice Plumley had a two run RBI, for instance. And then, of course, Dom Stagliano had a really great pitching performance. He was actually named a- the AAC's Pitcher of the Week. So the, the Stetson transfer really making an impact in his first start with the program. And, oh, yeah, Ben Vespi wasn't even among the starting pitchers this weekend because he was it, because he was injured and they were kind of holding him back a little bit. I believe Love Lady said he, he could be back as soon as next week, as barring any setbacks. So these are so even without Ben Vespi, the starting pitching group is looking promising. Not not all the way. Rudy Gomez had uh, Rudy Gomez ran into a little bit of trouble late into his outing. Cam Leiter, while while he had great some some solid stuff and was striking a, and struck out. What was it? Seven of the nineteen. Here it is. Seven of the seven of the seventeen batters he faced, he struck out. The problem was is that he walked four times. He walked four batters, which is why he gave up that one run that ended up being a pretty big issue for UCF because he wasn't getting offensive support. But that's not Leiter's fault. So Leiter did a solid job in his for in, in his for, in his first appearance, and yeah, I think I think there's promise here. Now you could obviously make the the assumption that, uh, or make the the notion that oh, you know, it's Sienna. You know what? You know the opponent's not really there. They're gonna make a step up in competition level you know, as a lot of people have been talking about. But you know, I think no matter who you're pitching, you're, who you're playing against, you still got to hit the ball and you still got to pitch the ball and you still got to pitch the ball well. And I think that they did all right with it this time. I think ne- I think that th- this I think this series lets us be very optimistic about this team. I think the fact that this team is much healthier is also very big because they're holding Ben Vespi back. And to make sure that he doesn't hurt himself even further, we know that Sundin is going to be coming back a little bit later on in the season. So I think there's a lot to be optimistic about this team. I think we just got to keep on watching them, see what they do against FAU and Clemson, and just make sure they stay healthy. And that's something Mike Baroth said. We got we got to talk to him for the first time after the after uh, Sunday's game. So all those videos and more, all, all those videos, much more are on the Black and Gold Banneret YouTube channel, including one where we talked to former UCF pitcher and Sienna pitching coach Joe Sheridan. Uh, yeah, Joe Sheridan in the house. Um, the uh, FAU, real quick, they swept Monmouth, another old old foe of ours from back in the day, uh, earlier this uh, week, 14, uh, 6 to 2, 14 8, and 17 to 2 to get off to, to the start there. So we talk about FAU against on against UCF baseball on Tuesday. Clemson uh, swept Binghamton to start the season uh, back home in uh, in South Carolina. Tony Kornheiser's uh, alma mater there. Yeah, that's right. The Binghamton Bearcats, eleven three three two and nineteen to one. They play Charlotte on Tuesday before they face UCF. By the way, Clemson um, a little bit of a down spell for them. They're picked fifth in the Atlantic Division. Uh, in the yeah. ACC, which uh, well, they got you know, a new head, they got the new head coach Eric Backage, who came over from Michigan. That was the big news in college baseball. He came over trying to resurrect the Clemson program, so that's going to be a big weekend here. I 
Look, with respect to Sienna, which, by the way, Jeff, I hate to break the news to you, but this is it for the Sienna series. It's over. The tradition what? is ending. It's done. Greg Lovely alluded to it in the Sunday presser. Remember, and he told us last week on the on the show, when you go to the Big 12, they're going up to 30 conference games in the Big 12. Oh, that's right. Up from 24, so there's going to be some casualties in the, oh, in the, in the and Sienna's going to be one of them. So, as a result, uh, and I'm okay with that. Um you know, we're going to learn a lot with FAU. FAU is a good team, despite what even even Noah Goldberg shout out. He's big Owls guy. He tells us how good, but they really are good. Unlike what you know, I know Noah tends to think FAU is good at everything, but they're really good. And then they got Clemson. I think we'll learn a lot about this team more this week than we did against Siena. Uh, there's optimism. I think there's talent. I like the group, but now we're going to learn a little bit more. The 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 the, the competition level goes up a different level. So th- does this mean we have to bid a, a fond farewell to our old buddy Tony Rossi, the longtime head yeah. coach at Siena, who uh, uh, longest tenured Nick, is that right? Baseball coach in Division One. He's won five uh, MAC championships, M-A-A-C, uh, six MAC Coach of the Year awards. The guy's been coaching at Siena since 1970, 53 years uh, and at the age of 79, one of the inst- he's a human institution um, for uh, baseball. We've seen him many times. I mean, I remember when Sienna used to come here, you know, when I was a student and um, and he had been around for a mere 30 some years. So it's a, so uh, kind of a bummer. Eh, old school. Old school. By the way, uh, one little bit I wanted to drop in about uh, FAU. Uh, they were picked third in Conference USA. And uh, no one, Sh- uh, no one, the uh, preseason player of the year uh, in Conference USA, plays for uh, FAU uh, as well. Uh, he's an outfielder, so be on the lookout for him, as well as uh, starter Hunter Cooley, a grad student from uh, Vero Beach, who's a preseason all conference uh, selection in, uh, in CUSA. So uh, beware for that. Uh, quick update on women's hoops they play Temple. Uh, on Sunday, or, or excuse me, on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Uh, in a play 4K game. We're going to be wearing pink to that. I'm actually doing PA for this game, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, UCF right now, 11 and 13, 2 and 10 um, in the league. The latest uh, on them, you know, remember they were around 500, lost their two games this past week uh, against South Florida, which you kind of figured close game at ECU, but they just couldn't pull it together, Elo. Um, but they have three games left, two at home, Temple, Cincinnati, and then at Tulsa to close out the regular season. Um, I think, you know, if you're Satya Messer, what do you want to do in these last three games now? Find some positives going into the conference tournament. That's what you're going to do. Yeah. Build some confidence. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if they, if they, if they, you know, if I'm looking at it, I'm like, hey, let's just, let's get to 500. Let's get to 500 by the start of the, by the conference, uh, by the conference tournament. See what happens from there. Um, and, you know, celebrate senior night on an up note too, because I know that they've been, you know, they, be, first of all, they beat, remember they beat Cincinnati, um, in Cincinnati back on the eighth. And there's a chance to go out on the home floor on a, uh, positive note. Um, Bryson, Nick, what else we got that we wanted to talk about here? Oh, Nick, I want to, let me get you in here. XFL opened up this past week and we saw some UCF guys play. Yes, sir. We did. Terrence Plummer, Adrian Killens, and a couple others uh, put on a show. Uh, Terrence Plummer and Killens were probably the most notable 
Killens is probably the most notable out of all of them because not only does he serve as his team's running back, he was their team's kick returner. Had a he returned three kicks, including a pretty nice one for I believe about thirty three ish yards. Uh, and then Terrence Fulmer uh, managed to rack up uh, two tackles and two uh, and assisted on two other tackles. Yeah. So hey, one other thing too yeah. about AK, and I think that this is interesting. I want to know what you take because because we were I was watching these games obviously. Um, the the kickoff rule in the XFL is unique where the kickoff stand, the kicker stands all the way back there. You have to land the kick at like from the 20 back. Right. And yeah. the, and the returner sets up, you know, inside his own 20 yard line and the opposing uh, coverage teams line up separated by about five yards. I think at the 30 and 35, of the returning team. Is that right? It was, I, I was looking yeah. at this. And I'm thinking this is kind of, this, this is going to make it really hard to return kickoffs, isn't it? Yeah, I would say so. Um, if you followed the XFL back in 2020, this is either exactly the same or pretty close to how they did it. So like, I wasn't surprised. Like I remember seeing this cause I'm from Tampa. So I went to both the Vipers games. So I watched that pretty closely. Mm. Um, but I agree with you. Like, I just felt like, you know, they would like catch a ball and then suddenly it'd just be like, Oh, defender's already on him. So, you know, you know, yeah. I think there's positives and negatives. Like at the same time though, it's like, you know, you're more likely to get a return, which, you know, I think, I think it's more good for like, you know, you guys were talking about timing with college football. I think this is good for keeping the clock running. Which is yeah, why they, these these which is why these games are closer to two hours than three hours. Yeah, that's an interesting point, um, Bryson. I wanted to get you in on uh, uh, talking about tennis here. The men's tennis team is really struggling right now. Uh, they had that long road trip. We knew this would be tough, um, and uh, they lost to Miami four uh, nothing. But they're back home for North Florida and Florida State. What's the plan right now? Because they're off to a one and six start, and again. Um, just a tough schedule that John Roddick has uh, is putting his team through the ringer on here, isn't he? He really is. I mean, the, the one thing we really have to make sure that I'm probably just going to keep on saying over and over and over again is that this team is young, extremely young. A majority of these players are freshmen. So a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, this is just going to be them being kind of thrown into the deep end and just, and just letting them learn on the fly. I mean, going against Miami, um, Bogdan Bavel and Leighton Cronhey did pick up a win in doubles play, 6-3, the ranked number 48 in the country. So we, I think that individually keeping an eye on them would certainly be of interest because I think we could see some individual success out of them. But as far as from a team concern, um, they, they got swept by Miami. I mean, I could see them doing some winning, doing something against North Florida. I mean, they're going to be facing number nine FSU it, it's go. I think this is going to be a, another rough season, but unlike last year where I think they, I think that last year the, 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 this team probably could have done better, but didn't this, this year, I think is much more of like they're committed to the rebuild. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, they're much more committed to rebuilding this team. And I do love the talent that this team has. I do think this team is talented. The problem is, is that they just need to get the experience. And unfortunately, you kind of need to have experiences like that in order to get that, in order to 
get some experience under your belt so you can move forward. So we'll see what they can do moving for, moving forward. But just remember, it's a young team. Yeah, Friday uh, against North Florida at home, and then number nine Florida State comes in on Saturday this weekend, and then they have some time up before they go down to Boca to play FAU on March the third. Uh, women's tennis—they um, lost uh, in uh, to two ranked teams up in Tennessee, up in Nashville, and then Knoxville. Vandy number fifteen and Tennessee number twenty-four. They're back home for TCU on Friday, and Pepperdine number eleven. Pepperdine rematch of this of. Uh, what was that, Eric? Sweet 16 a couple years ago when they went out to uh, Malibu? 2019, yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, right now women's tennis stands at four and three as they make their way through um, their schedule as well. Uh, big news coming through track and field. Uh, this is the indoor championship week, uh, Bryson. Who do you think we should be uh, watching out for as the uh, in the indoor championships? Because right after that, Outdoor season starts, and uh, and Renaya Jones is. I, I imagine Renaya is going to have a pretty busy uh, time of it. But you know, she was the uh, once again named uh, AAC Track Athlete of the Week, um, and now there's some hardware on the line. You're that is indeed correct, Jeff. So Renaya is, of course, someone you want to keep an eye on. Keep an eye on Deja Lampkin. Uh, Deja Lampkin transferred from Alabama. She has the 41st fastest 60 meters in the country and the 30th fastest 200 meters in the country. So she's, she'll still be someone to keep an eye on. Latasha Smith and Kia Williams are both within the top 50, uh, 400 meter runs in the, in the, in the country. So there'll be someone to keep an eye on as well amongst them. And also of course the four by 400 meter relay events. And then Kayla Harris, um, we talk about Renaya Jones, but let's not forget about Kayla Harris. Renaya Jones has the 12th fastest 60 meter hurdle time in the in the country. Kayla Harris has the 20th. Mm. So Kayla Harris is right there in the top 20 in the top 20 with her. Amongst the jumps, we have Ashira Collins, who has the 23rd longest long jump and the 26th fast longest triple jump. And then Jasmine Scott Kilgo, who has the 45th fastest long jump and the 44th triple jump and don't forget to keep an eye out in the in the pentathlon for natalia madison and holly cassells and then of course isabella richardson recently broke Anne marie blaney's freshman record in the 3000 meters so keep an eye on her in the distance runners as well all right um and then uh, i just want to re- quickly recap uh some golf we got the men's golf team is playing uh this coming weekend out in uh, las vegas at the southern islands collegiate women's golf uh is uh they're actually in action right now at in uh, Melbourne at the Moon Golf Invitational, hosted interestingly enough by Louisville of all people. But um, they're currently in, uh, or, or they uh, they finished Sunday in second. They're finishing the tournament um, today, and then they go to the Gator Invitational um, in uh, early March to uh, wrap things up, uh, or rather, they go to the Gators Invitational not to wrap things up. They still got two more tournaments after that before the American, uh, before the American championships, but uh, golf track and field, we are in the midst of it right now for the, uh, 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 in this, in this spring equinox. And we got basketball, obviously tonight, uh, Tuesday night, we're Tuesday. We're recording this Um, more basketball on Wednesday. It's going to be a busy time guys. Here we go. (laughs) Baseball and softball underway. Preser- yeah, preserving my voice, just yep. air as well, Jeffrey. Yep, got to get the salt water out. You know, keep it on. <laughs> Gargle some of that, and then we'll be all 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 ready to go. All right, 
Let's put a wrap on this thing. We got to thank everybody. Nick Porcelli, Nick Porcelli 2, Bryson Turner. It's Bryson Turner. Andrew Glukoff, Stat Boy Drew, Kyle Nash, the SOTG. Eric Lopez, who is at Eric Lopez Elo. Thank you guys always for everything that you've been doing. I want a special shout out also to um, all of our incredible photographers, Derek Warden and Noah Goldberg leading the way. Um, make sure you follow our Instagram as well. Follow us on Twitter, UCF Banner underscore SBN. Follow our YouTube channel where, where Bryson's just been killing it along with Kyle, getting the latest postgame stuff up there, uh, which has been fun. We've been seeing, we've been dropping that in in our, uh, in our recaps. Um, it's, it's been, you know, we've had plenty of good stuff uh, for you guys to keep, uh, to keep your eye on UCF sports, whatever sports you enjoy. We covered it. Uh, also, don't forget, what am I forgetting? Let's see, Twitter, Instagram. Oh, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banner as well. So, um, and again, we'll be following more basketball for you here as we uh, finish up here. And um, yeah, we're almost to March, man. Here we go. It seems like football season just ended, and now we're all, now we're all the way over and getting ready to finish up basketball, and we're going to have baseball, softball all the way through to June. Eric's going to be busy. Seven games in what? Seven games in five days again, like we said earlier. Well, yeah. Well, I'm calling nine because I'm calling some of the non UCF games. Oh, that's right. Because we're carrying them all on plus. So yeah, I'll be pretty Dang. much on all week. Yeah. Dang. Should I bring uh, like a sleeping bag and some supplies over to the press box? Caffeine is really the, caffeine. the big <laughs> caffeine. Bring it on. We want to thank all of you who uh, who listened to us here on the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Remember, next week will actually be our Final show branded as the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And then we will be rebranding the show to Night Shift after that uh, as well. But again, you don't have to change your feeds at all. Uh, we will be maintaining the feed. And if anything changes on that, be sure to follow us. UCF Banneret underscore SPM for all the latest on that. So for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. Enjoy all the sports we got coming this weekend. And we will talk to you guys next week.